Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. Thank you, Wes, for leading and leading in prayer as Wes was praying. I was just reflecting that our simple prayer throughout this Purify series has been, Lord, created me a pure heart so that I might be equipped to go be a blessing to the people around me for the glory of God. And as we were starting this series, this is week nine, by the way, so um, thank you for being here. Well done on, on making it back. And next week, we wrap up the series, excited for, for that Sunday. It's going to be a big day. But today, week nine, we're, we're moving. Well, I'll share the, the topic we'll be in in just a moment. But do you remember where we started back on week one? And it was step one. Well, it starts with prayer. And we talked about praying the book, praying the word of God. And Wes was praying us through Psalm 139 just then. And just um, remembering truth. But uh, it's fitting then today as we near the end of this series that we have a couple prayer warriors with us who are praying in a a realm of our, really helping us pray around our country. But uh, would you welcome uh, Matt Barnes, Pam Russell. They're going to come give us just a quick update on their ministry and and some exciting things going on in the political arena in our own state and, and also just fire us up to continue to pray. And yeah, that mic would be good. The, uh, yeah, if you want to grab that one, thanks. So would you welcome, welcome them? <laughs> good morning, Westbridge. How are you this morning? It's so good to be with you, and I know we just have a couple minutes, but God is doing some great things at your capital. Uh, we're having record numbers at Bible studies, and the governor's office and Pam's Bible studies are doing tremendous. I don't attend the women's Bible study. She's never invited me, so I'm not sure, <laughs> but I'm sure they're doing very well. Um, and so other things are going well. We had our state house prayer service this year with 800-plus Hoosiers gathered to pray for their leaders. It was not without its difficulty, though. You can be praying for us. Uh, we, first time ever we had protesters that were yelling at us. And, um, you know, I've always expected for protesters maybe to come from a particular angle. These came from what I would consider normally a friendly source, and uh, they've continued. And, and they were yelling at me the other day and calling me terrible names. And it was really hard to take on, this, on the floor of the state house very publicly with a megaphone. And um, so I met, I met with this guy's pastor, and I said, hey, could we meet? And so we met at Applebee's. I was sharing with you uh, just from my heart. We met at Applebee's, and I just said, you know, hey, uh, can we work something out? He said, I want to clear the air for you. Uh, He said, I am so sorry. This guy that yelled at me, and I was really praying for him, he said, I'm so sorry. I was filled with bitterness and anger. Would you please forgive me? And we talked for another hour and a half. He became a friend. And so these protesters, God's turning them to friends, and I'm thankful for that. But it is hard ministry in the state house, and it's from all different angles, things you don't expect. And so would you please pray for us as we lift up your leaders in prayer? It's difficult to do ministry in the political arena for a variety of reasons. And yet I'm so glad to have a partner in Pam. She's been with us for nine years. I've got my wife with me as well today, Miriam, and our youngest daughter, Emma. And we're just glad to be here and worshiping with you. Sometimes we just need to sit back and listen to preaching pastors, so I appreciate you inviting us here. Just be praying for us as we continue ministry in the capital. Pam. 
Well, again, good morning. And uh, we just want to say glory, all glory to God for it's what he is doing. Uh, we just get to be the channels by which he's, he's working there. Absolutely unqualified channels, but I'm there. And uh, Matt is absolutely qualified. But I would say this. Now, when we started there, Matt had hair and I had color. <laughs> Hard ministry. But <laughs> he wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so anyway, God is good. Yes, God is growing. The women's side of the ministry, we're getting record numbers in Bible studies. Not, I say Bible studies plural because there's uh, an opportunity has opened up in the, another government building in the city county building. We've started a women's Bible study there. And this week I got an invitation from another government center within the town to, to start a women's Bible study there. So God is growing it. Uh, but I want to talk to you quickly, briefly, ladies, to encourage you to come to the back table. Some of you came last year. Women's State House Day is coming up in four weeks. And we'd love to see a good group of you there. Because what you're doing there is praying. You're meeting the leaders. They're understanding how many people are praying for them. And what we see is God on the move in response to that prayer. And so things are moving and doors are opening. Also, if you would like to host uh, a tea where I could get, take more time to tell you uh, what's going on in the ministry, I would love that. And that can be in your living room. So praise God. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, just thank these guys. And Kelly Hassler is our point person here at, at church if you have questions. But yes, in the back. And, well, I was just thinking, remembering last week we talked about Daniel and Daniel being in Babylon, and just God working through his prayer in that nation, and just so appreciate the ministry of the Barnes and, and Pam, and just uh, the battles fought on our knees, and I was reflecting even within the church in our nation, and, and uh, actually worldwide this week, the United Methodist Church, um, battle going on there to, to stand on the authority of God's word and, and what's right. And a, a battle was won. And so I know much prayer um, just being lifted up. So encouragement to be praying. But uh, today we move into a, a realm that we'll use our, we'll, we'll go back to the launch pad text we used last week as we seek to, uh, to pursue purity. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, that says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This text anchors us to the why that we're pursuing purify, that we pursue purity. And it's in that little phrase, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends. And remember last week we talked about as we seek to, to live lives, to, to have hearts and lives that are pure before God, what's the why? And he brings it back to relationship. What's the promise right before this verse? And it's where the Lord says, it's the promise, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And the why that, that drives us as we set out to be pure before God is our love relationship with him. It's not a desire to, for self-improvement. It's not a desire to do the right thing necessarily just because culture says it's the right thing. It's the desire to please our Father, to bring Him joy, and to honor Him in this covenant love relationship that He has graciously allowed us to step into. And so, 
I was thinking about this why and, and how um, last week coming off that message and Monday, often Sabbath day, I'll refuel my soul watching a 30 for 30 sports, ties into life, good stories. And I'm watching an illustration of the power of why that, that just, it left tears in my eyes. And it was called, it was a, uh, it's called 42 to 1. And those were the odds of the Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson fight. If any of you were alive back then, Mike Tyson, you remember, he unbeatable brother. This guy was 210 pounds of fury, power, just knock you out. Here's a picture of him fighting Evander Holyfield. Scary dude. And, there's, and so he's lining up fighters that, that he's just going to take out. He's, he's not just beating them. He's knocking them out in the first round. Well, Buster Douglas comes along, and the odds to beat this guy were 42-1, which in Vegas, that's impossible. The fight was in Tokyo. It was just another fight on Tyson's list of, you know, on, on the way to the top. No one thought that Buster Douglas could win this fight. Why? Because he quit earlier. This guy had the, the goods of a fighter. He was big. He was strong, but he didn't have the will. When, when uh, he got knocked down in a fight earlier, he quit. Nor did he have the will to prepare. He was flabby. He had a little flab on him because he's just kind of going through the motions. He didn't have the heart until this fight. And uh, the fight opens up. Mike Tyson's round. They, or a crew, they didn't even bring all their equipment. Every corner has a piece of steel that's frozen that you rub on a fighter's face when the swelling starts to go up that'll bring the swelling down and keep, keep his eyes open. They didn't even bring the steel. Left it at home. Why? This fight's going to last one round. It's going to be pop, pop, bang, just like all the other ones. And this big joke's going to fall on the ground. But what happens? Remember this fight? Buster Douglas lasts not one round, not two rounds, not three rounds, not four rounds. People are like, this isn't supposed to be going. Mike Tyson's eyes swelling shut. Five rounds, six rounds. Douglas is winning some of them. Seven rounds until the eighth round. Finally, Mike Tyson does what we all knew he'd do. Pop! Puts him on the ground. One, two, three, four, five. Is he going to lay there like he did in the previous fight and quit? Uh-uh. Count seven. The big boy gets up. And when he comes out of the ring, they go to their rings. And when Tyson comes out of his ring that next round, he's smelling blood. You can see it. He just unleashes fury on him. But guess what Douglas does? <laughs> Not only did he have the heart to prepare for this fight, the heart to get up from this fight, he had the heart to bring it when it was hard. And he unleashed his own fury. Pop, pop, pop. Put him down. Put him down. You say, why? How in the world did that happen? And the interview shows it. Check this out. Why did it happen, James? Because I wanted it. Why? Why did you win this fight that nobody on the planet gave you? Because it's mother. In what way? God bless the heart. You hear what he said? Let him go, Larry. Why did he win the fight? My mother. What did Mike Tyson not pay attention to? Two months earlier, the love of Buster Douglas' life, the woman he loves, his mom, died. And guess what entered his soul? A why. He had a reason to fight. He had a reason to prepare. He had a reason to cut the body fat. He had a reason to get up on, on the seven count. And he had a reason to win that fight. And the reason was the woman he loved. It was bigger than the fight. And you guys, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a reason to get up and fight. To fight the good fight. To live for the one who died for us. And it's 
someone who is bigger than the fight. It's our love for Jesus Christ. And Paul says it this way, for I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's our why, right? Because of these promises, we purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and soul. Isn't that cool? And just, uh, just fill it. And so with that, we move into an a awkward realm today. And it's the uh, last week we talked about purifying our character, our soul. Today, it's our body. And the, one of the biggest threats as human beings and how God's created us is that we would take the gift of our sexuality and use it in a way that, that would hurt the one that we love and the people around us. And so we're moving into that realm the, uh, to purify our bodies. Now, some, if you're a mom of a middle school student, high, young man, you may be thinking, sweet, we're talking um, cleanse your body, meaning let's uh, take a shower, let's break out some deodorant, let's change some socks. And, and this is bigger than smelling good. This is uh, moving into that realm that, that's, that is body but also soul deep of sexuality. And in case we're, uh, someone is here today, um, you walked in with your kids and you haven't had the talk yet and you don't want to have that talk on the way home, commercial break here and you can leave. Or uh, <laughs> great kids ministry, you can head out and uh, take them to that. No one's looking. Everybody look at this book. So now you can just go. But some great uh, resources as, as this, I'll just be able to scratch the surface. We're going to get into God's word on it, but. Um, this Rethinking Sexuality, great book by Dr. Julie Slattery, um, where she really unpacks and engages uh, culture today and, and a lot of the lies. Uh, great book for high school students and middle school, high school, and college, Love, Sex, and Dating by Andy Stanley. Our student ministry will reference this one and, and appreciate Jake and Ellie, even last week, opening discussion and the, the student ministry, the whole staff actually was a panel up there allowing students to ask questions around this realm. And so, uh, Messy Grace, great book. Probably one of the best books on just the whole tension of, of uh, gender and homosexuality. And, and as followers of Christ, how do we move in with grace and love, but also truth and hold that? And the guy who wrote this is, the, is a pastor, but he grew up in a, a gay home, a gay family. Um, two moms that raised him, and he would march in the gay pride, gay pride parades and what have you. So he, he gets it, and he gets both, and it's solid theologically. Mingling of Souls is great for marriage. Matt Chandler, and one of the chapters in here on sex is really good. And so good book there. And then this one's not on, up on the screen, but Preparing Your Son for Every Man's Battle. Book series, Every Man's Battle, great for just helping guys um, honor God sexually. But this is a great one if, you're, if you have young men that you're raising up and um, just walking through the helping them um, and have opening the conversation to talk about that. So our sexuality is one of the most precious and powerful gifts that God has given us. And you stop and think at the core of it really is a, a God-given longing for relationship and specifically for intimacy, for to be connected at a soul level, a deep level with another. Our sexuality is created by God, and often it, when we think of it in culture, we think of it as being something that's dirty, but it's not, it's beautiful, and it's, but it's to be enjoyed in the context of a covenant love relationship, really important concept, God created us to enjoy a covenant love, 
meaning an exclusive love, um, and, and that's really what our sexuality is, uh, is foreshadowing, is, is a metaphor of, and, and is, uh, it, it, there's, there's deeper meaning and significance. And it's interesting as we ignore his perfect design for sexuality, it leads to the deepest shame, the deepest regrets, and the deepest hurts, doesn't it? And I want to be sensitive to that today. As we talk, I know that um, this may be raising, raising up some, some deep hurts. And just know wherever you're at, I'll just say this up front. And there's forgiveness. There's also healing in Christ. But it's because of the incredible pain that sexual sin has caused and is causing in our lives that, that I'm really excited, or not excited, but, but driven, I guess you could say, or called to share this truth. Because uh, God's desire for us is intimacy with Him and to enjoy that in our relationships. And where there is sexual sin, there are relational fractures with, with our Father in Heaven, but also in our human relationships. And so the, the vision, though, is as we're all here at, if our faith family will commit to pursue purity, what, what we're going to enjoy is greater intimacy with God and, and with others. And one, one, just to frame this theologically, uh, uh, Dr. Slater writes, she says, while God created our sexual desire to awaken our longing for love, even marriage is not the ultimate fulfillment of that desire. Marriage is the shadow, the foretaste, the metaphor of the true longing to be known, embraced, accepted, and celebrated by our creator. This means sexuality is infused with, with a significance a significant spiritual purpose regardless of our marital status. This gives great spiritual significance not only to the married but also to celibacy, those seasons of life when we're single. Celibacy for the kingdom is not a rejection of sexuality. It's a call to embrace the ultimate meaning and purpose of sexuality. The one flesh union is only a foreshadowing of something infinitely more grand and glorious. Single Christians know the ache and the longing for covenant, a covenant love that hasn't come. As we understand Scripture in Ephesians 5, core on this, um, it, it's a mystery. We don't understand all that there is to it, but, but there will be a, a fulfillment of this longing, this desire, sexual desire that even um, marriage doesn't fully satisfy, but, but gives us a taste of that, that's found in Christ and found in our, our union with Him. And so, the... Uh, We'll dive in. Tough text. This is one of the most in-your-face texts in this realm. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 to 20. The, uh, Paul's addressing a big issue, important. We're dropping into a, really, he's pleading with these people. It's a church that's in a culture that's morally in decline. We think our culture may be drifting, but this, the culture in Corinth is a port city. It was all kinds of stuff going on, but, but Temple prostitution was actually encouraged. So sexual morality was, was not just frowned upon. In our culture, it's illegal. In their culture, you were doing a good thing if you went to the temple and there were, were, uh, took part in this. And people within the church were checking off on this. This is okay. So Paul addresses it in verse 12. He says, and what he does here is he quotes three cultural slogans that they accept kind of as just the way it is. He says, the first one is, I have the right to do anything 
you say. But then Paul chimes in, but not everything is beneficial. So Christian, we may, something may be okay, but we're asking, is it good? Then he says, I have the right to do anything. Quotes it again, but I will not be mastered by anything. So we're asking the question, could this become addictive or rule my life? And then third, the third, in verse 13, he says, you say the food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. So the idea is that implied into sexuality, we're just physical beings, and hey, the food for the stomach, the stomach for food, God's going to destroy the body, right? So eat what you want. Eat the cheeseburger, eat the double cheeseburger, and add another one on top of that, right? And, and so it is in sexuality. It's a physical desire, so just satisfy it however you want. Paul's like, no, 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 no. Verse 13, he says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So the big issue leads Paul to, to explain this big truth. Our bodies, our physical bodies, they are for the Lord. Now, throughout humanity, history of humanity, we tend to drift into two extremes. One, we either overemphasize the body to the neglect of the soul, the inner world, or we overemphasize the soul. We say the body doesn't really matter to the, to the, the neglect of the body, which is where they were at. And here Paul is explaining, no, the body matters. The body that we have, yeah, it's going to dwindle, die, and, but it matters. Why? And he, he explains it in the next few verses. First, he starts with the resurrection. He says, verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. And then he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? That word unite, he's referring back to Genesis 1, that Jesus reaffirms. That God created us male, female. The institution of marriage is something that he, he set up and then he is the one who makes us one and our sexuality is one means of that soul connection and that soul oneness. He says, do you not know that, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Really important truth here is he, he reminds us when we come to faith in Christ, we, we are not only are we purified from forgiven of our sin, are we uh, promised a resurrected body and life forever with God, but we enter into a love relationship that's it's the union of the Trinity. We're invited into that love relationship that's it's close beyond explanation, close beyond what we could describe its intimacy at the, the deepest level. I keep thinking what Augustine said, our souls are restless till they find their rest in God. We were created to just live in this oneness and even in our sexuality to, to honor God um, in this. And the way we do that is, is um, honoring his design for sexuality, which is in the midst of a marriage relationship, a covenant love relationship. And so with this foundation laid, he moves into the action step for us. And what follows is a gift powerful to help us purify our bodies and honor God with our sexuality. And it starts in verse 18, as he says, simple command, flee sexual immorality. Flee it. 
when we're tempted to enjoy sex outside of marriage, and what is in the word here is, is porneia, and it's the word where anytime you find sexual immorality in the Bible, it's usually that word translated porneia from which you get our word pornography, but it's anything outside of marriage that, that we're expressing our sexuality whether it be uh, premarital sex, sex before marriage, extramarital sex, adultery, or, or anything in that realm, or um, an addiction to pornography, or, or whatever, uh, even lust. Jesus said, you know, when, if we've lusted after someone in our mind, we've committed adultery with them in God's eyes. And, and that levels the playing field, doesn't it? We're all broken in this area, and we all really need forgiveness. But... but uh, his point, though, is this is one of those sins that you, um, the calling of God, the one who knows us best, loves us, cares about us, desires intimacy for us, says, flee it, flee it, flee it. So when we find ourselves tempted, or if we find ourselves in that gray area, which is often the, the trap, like, is this wrong? Is this right wrong? The answer is, if, if we're asking the question, is this right or wrong, it's flee. Don't it, we don't even want to get close. I like the way that... Uh, Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 3, where he says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or pornea, pornea or any kind of impurity or greed. If, you, if we're wondering, is this okay? The answer is flee, um, because. And then what the Lord gives us here, really neat, in that he doesn't just say flee this. He says this is why. And he gives us three reasons to flee it. The first is found in, Verse 18, as he says, flee from sexual morality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. The first reason to flee it is, the, the idea is flee it, seeing the wreckage that this will bring. There's something unique about sexual sin in what it does to our, to our body, to, um, to us from the inside out, rotting um, really our soul from the inside out, and it's, it's a quiet killer. The lie is, is deep. It's, it's one of those, it, you can hide it, you can cover it, you can, um, and shame keeps it covered, but the reality is it always rots us, and it takes us to the same place, destruction. No one ever sets out in their life to say, I'm going to be a child molester, let alone molest their own child. How does that happen? It's wicked. It, it, it's, it's bondage is deeper than, than most sin, and it will lead to um, destruction. We're sinning against our own body and the relationships that matter most around us. And so he says, let flee be your, your uh, reflex. Run from it. Who in their right mind sets out, you know, to be addicted to pornography such that it's going to blow up your marriage? The people, the lady you love the most, the kids that you love, no one. And, and it's why he says, flee it. Flee it, flee it. Let flee be your reflex. I think of Jesus when he was teaching on this in the Sermon on the Mount. goes graphic with it. It's when he said, hey, if, if you've lusted, you've committed adultery, just to, to let us all know we've, we've all broken this, or we all have a ways to go. But then he says, if your eye causes you, causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to go, go through life one-eyed than, than to lose your soul in heaven. And he's going graphic just to, to lift up the importance of, of this. Flee sexual immorality as we see the wreckage. It, it reminds us um, guardrails. Now, guardrails are dangerous in that guardrails, when we allow them to become the law or uh, impose them on other people, or, or, but 
that can lead into legalism and all kinds of issues. But a guardrail is something that we put up to protect ourselves from an area of weakness in our own life. So one action step out of this is to say, when am I most tempted sexually when to, to veer? When, when are, am I at my weak point? And then put a guardrail up around that area. The uh, one illustration in our small group, Gary Chittister was sharing. He's, an, he's a pilot. And by the way, neat uh, moment. This was one of his bits of fame. Gary, all the way on the right here, he's one of our security guys here at church. Southwest this week, I don't know if you saw this, this was national news, but he helped open up Southwest Airlines to Hawaii. So pretty neat deal. If you see Gary, give him a, a high five on that. But we were, he was sharing in small group that whenever he's out, he flies into Vegas, flies, you know, all over the country, but there's the stewardesses that are um, along with. And that industry known for, you know, being relationally free and what have you. And he said what he's done and continues to do is he will not get on the, the same elevator as a stewardess. If they're all walking into the hotel and they're all going up to the wherever, he lets them go first. And then he'll take his own elevator. Why? Guardrail. Um, flee. If there's a... Uh, there's a threat, it's saying, I'm going to flee. The uh, sec second reason, because of the wreckage, and then the second reason is in verse 19, as he says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and you, whom you have received from God? The second reason is flee it, seeing the gift of his presence. This is just that reality that when we come to faith in Christ, what a gift that we receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And radical truth. Uh, just soak in those words where Paul says, um, do you not know that your body, this body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? The Spirit of God in us. Now, what's cool about this is when you stop and think about it, God created this body and your body and it's unique. There is no other person on the planet who can reflect the glory of God like you. And how do, how do you reflect the glory of God? It's through the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, bearing the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. So as you come alive in the Spirit, you reflect His glory in a way that, that only you can. And then He says, not only who is in you, but whom God has given to you, whom you received. This is a gift. And you stop and think, when God promised, remember back in, all the way in September, we talked about the promise to Abraham, that I will bless you and bless people who follow. What was core to the new covenant blessing? When God said, I'm going to make a new promise with you, a new covenant, remember core to it was the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit. The Old Testament saints didn't have that. And here, Paul's just reminding these new Christians, that guys, we have the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit it's unthinkable that we could take the Spirit into sexual sin, into something that would hurt Him, because when that happens, the Spirit goes from propelling us and um, just recreating Christ in us to, to convicting us, and, and He's grieved. And so, good to remember when we're tempted, um, and, and the reason that we flee sexual immorality is through I love the, the hope that this gives us, too, that when sexual temptation often comes into our, our life 
much like Mike Tyson, it looks unbeatable. You know, when it, we, in our moment of weakness, it's just like, I can't beat this. I can't take it. It's over. But, but guys, we have the Spirit of God within us to do what? To help us say no. The fruit of the Spirit, self-control. To help us say yes to what's right. To toss us Scripture. I love the Scripture that, that God gives us. Psalm 119, verse uh, 9 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By walking according to the word of God. And then he says, so I have hidden your word in my heart. Why does this matter? So that when we're tempted, the spirit of God can take the word of God and just give us the truth we need to keep on and to say no to follow him and to do what's right. This leaves a, uh, think, is it possible to leave a legacy of, of sexual purity for the people around you? To, to experience intimacy with God and those around us? To overcome the bondage? And the, the answer is yes, yes. A thousand times yes. And I love the picture in uh, Genesis chapter 39 of Joe Jacobson. And Joe, you know, raised up to a a position of of elevation in Potiphar's house. But remember his wife. Potiphar put him in charge of everything. And Potiphar's wife comes and she says in, in Genesis chapter 39, says, now Joseph was well built and handsome. Wives, would you just say to your husbands right now, a lot like you. But uh, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. He said, with me in charge, how could I do this? But then he goes on and says, how could I do this wicked thing against God? And what was Joseph remembering in, in the moments of temptation? He's with me. He's with me, and and so it is here in Scripture. Paul says, remember this, flee it, see the wreckage, but also see the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the gift that God's given you, given us in Christ. And then the third reason is found in verse 20, where he says, and this is perhaps the, the most compelling, where he says, you are not your own, you are bought at a price. Why flee sexual immorality, sexual sin? The third reason is flee it, seeing the price that he paid for us. The picture in view is the picture of a slave being bought off the slave market of sin. And just remembering, thinking about as you even look at your hands right now. If you are in Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, your body is his because he, he died for you. He gave his body for you. And this body is going to be resurrected. Like, we get to live forever. Psalm 16 says, with with eternal pleasures at his right hand. Like, the best is yet to come. And here in the midst of temptation, God's calling us to remember, you're not your own. Your body belongs to him. And so then he makes the shift, the conclusion that, uh, that calls us to action. He starts with one imperative. He ends with this next imperative The last part of verse 20 says, therefore, honor God with your body. I love this picture of when we, the first imperative really has us looking back at something that's not so good to look at, whatever the temptation is. But remember when we talked about our thoughts a couple weeks ago, and he said, think about whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable. This is the shift right here in our thoughts. As we, we're in the midst of temptation, yeah, we're fleeing that for these reasons, but now we're saying, okay, God, this is your body. How can I go honor you with it today? How can I use my body to bring you glory? 
What would that look like? And we get our minds even off of all that stuff to him and saying, I got 70 years, 80 years, 90 years to use this one-of-a-kind body, you know, like no other body, like your body, like my body, to honor him. And the word literally is doxa, to glorify him, to make him look good. And so how can I do that? And we pursue um, purity. So bringing it all together, the calling of God through his word is this. Flee sexual immorality. Flee it. Flee it. Flee it. How? By seeing the wreckage, seeing the gift, and then remembering the price through which I have been purchased, and then honor God with my body. And so the the question's pretty simple today. Are you in? Have you uh, surrendered to your body, to the Lord, and, and really, are you in the fight, you know, and willing to commit to this, willing to pursue purity? Just thinking through some things that, that some implications this may have on us, and it may be having a hard conversation. If you're in a relationship before marriage, it may be saying, you know, we need to, one, repent for having premarital, being involved sexually before our marriage, and just say, we're going to draw the line, and we're going to save this gift of sexual intimacy for marriage as God designed it and out of honor for him and just committing to that. It may mean going to a counselor saying, I've been trying to fight the sex addiction that I, I had no idea I was getting into when I was young and now I can't beat it and I've been trying to beat it alone and sanity is doing the same thing, expect, expecting different results and I'm going to go get help from someone and just this week, so I'm going to flee this by going to someone who has answers and can help me walk through it. It may mean ending a relationship. Maybe you're married and you've been seeking, you know, if you're a lady, probably seeking relationship, comfort, security, or just friendship with a guy that you know is it's not where it ought to be. Just saying this is over. For guys, it, relationship with a girl. You just say, I'm, I'm done. We've crossed a line and, and I'm done. What's flee look like for you? And then what's honor look like for you? And saying, I'm going after that. Going after that with everything I've got. The igniting vision and what, what just fills me with joy is to think about this is, guys, if we're per- pursuing sexual purity, understanding we're going to fail, our minds um, being transformed, when we fail, we're quick to run the path of repentance Ask forgiveness, confess, repent, flee, run, put up guardrails. But as we're pursuing this, we have the Spirit of God within us that will lead us into increasing freedom and a capacity to be one with Him and intimacy in our relationships, our marriages, or every relationship really around us. And in that, we bring glory to God. We experience joy. But here's the cool picture. And something Doug Wicker said several years ago, has not left my mind. We often say, okay, the world's falling apart. It's a mess. What do we do? Do we get up and, you know, shout, this is the truth? Or what if our lives were such that as the watching world watched us live, they're like, that's amazing. I want that. And they came to us and said, how'd you get a marriage like that? After 30 years, you still treasure your wife and and, uh, enjoy her. And she, and he, and, and, How'd you do that? And we're like, 
walk into this sexual wreckage that's all around us and say there's one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he created us with this longing for sexuality, but it's a longing that leads into a covenant love relationship, which is male, female, man, woman, marriage. But even marriage isn't going to satisfy you fully because we were created for a bigger covenant love relationship with him. <laughs> and it's awesome. There's nothing like it. Whether you are single, married, whatever, he is the one who fully satisfies. In this side of heaven, we just get glimpses. But he says, come, enjoy me, know me, walk with me. Isn't that awesome? And we offer hope for, for brokenness, healing for brokenness. So the question, are you in today? Will you surrender? And I can think of no better place to end this message than what we call communion. Where we, it's a love feast where we remember the one who died for us, loved us, gave his life for us. And then we uh, resurrender our hearts and lives to him. As we take the, body, the bread, we, we're, we remember the body of Christ. And if you're new to our church family, we, we put the cups together so the bread is under the, the cup. But the top cup contains the juice, which, which reminds us, of the blood of Christ that was poured out for us on the cross as he gave his life for you and for me. And I encourage you as we come to this time of communion and have quiet moments just to, to surrender, pray a prayer of surrender for your own heart, for your own body, but also for those that you love, to just pray God's grace over them in this realm. And then for our church family, his protection, but just that, that we would live surrendered in this realm. And so would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for the gift of our sexuality and just the chance to honor you with that. We thank you for this longing that you've given us for intimacy and for covenant love and, and just the opportunity, Lord, to know you, to enjoy you. As we come to this time of communion, we quiet our hearts in your presence and at the foot of the cross. Jesus, we remember your love poured out for us in ways that we will praise you for eternity, for we love you, we worship you, we thank you for your body that was broken, it makes it possible for us to, to step into this love relationship. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today, and Lord, I just pray your grace in each one of our lives for those of us who need healing, Lord, that you would bring that. For those of us who need hope, that you would bring that. For those of us who need to surrender, God, I pray the grace to, to offer our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.